The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. And now, from the Pirate Radio Studios, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello, I'm Shirley Rhodes, and welcome into the Pirate Radio Podcast. In today's episode, Troy Dreyfus will sit down with former ECU strength and conditioning coach Jeff Connors. They'll take a look back on how he got into the profession and all the different influences from some of the most interesting places that helped him produce a long and illustrious career. Sit back and relax. The Pirate Radio Podcast starts right now. And welcome into the Pirate Radio Podcast. Great to have Coach Jeff Connors alongside with me today for the podcast. What a fantastic career Coach Connors has had. 32 years at the Division I level in strength and conditioning. A couple of so many highlights, I don't have time to run through them all, but uh, a couple of the big ones I'll tell you that Coach was inducted in 2016 into the USA Strength and Conditioning Coaches Hall of Fame. In 2017, he was in the National Strength and Conditioning uh, Association uh, coach of the year uh, that year and uh, as we said the kind of a long list of achievements throughout uh, three decades of service in the strength and conditioning business you might know him best as East Carolina's former strength and conditioning coach for the ECU athletic program and ECU football two tour of duties he had uh, at ECU his first one was uh, for 10 years uh, and we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit during the uh, podcast back in the 90s when ECU was uh, some of the glory days of ECU football. But we'll talk about how the whole environment and the whole business has really changed over the past three decades. Coach, first of all, welcome to the podcast and uh, great to have you with us today. Well, I appreciate it. I dusted myself off this morning, drank about three cups of coffee. So uh, I'll try to make it as interesting as I can. A lot, a lot of folks wondering, uh, hey, what has Coach been up to? What what has he been doing uh, lately? And I want to I get into a lot of that. But let's start first a quick summary of your journey through your coaching career. Uh, how did you become initially even involved in the strength and conditioning business? Well, I'll try to give you a quick, uh, quick journey because I, <clears throat> initially I did a lot of different things in different areas of the country. Uh, I played college football at Salem University in Salem, West Virginia, and uh, – you know, we were uh, we had a strength and conditioning program there. Even though it was you know in the '70s, we had an organized program, and so uh, being involved in that organized strength and conditioning program was something something that influenced me over the years. Because when I went to college, I was a uh, 170 pounds, and uh, you know, I worked my way up to 190 pounds, and uh, redshirted one year and started the rest of the years. I I played quarterback and then I played defensive back for the rest of my career. But uh, shortly after uh, graduating, I got into powerlifting because basically I missed football and uh, was able to win some state titles in uh, Tennessee and uh, North and South Carolina, the, the combined meet one year. Um, and so uh, from there, I moved to Delray Beach, Florida and became a police officer. I had a double degree out of college in uh, physical education and criminal justice. And so uh, I got involved in the Florida State Police Olympics there and won the regional uh, there and 
got an accommodation from the chief and so he moved me to uh, we put a, a gym in and i became a fitness director for the police department uh, but I worked steady midnight shift there, so uh, my the speed development that I did in college uh, benefited me because we chased a lot of people on midnight shift. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, I was uh, kind of the guy that uh, they used to chase people because I could still run decent. Um, Can't teach speed, can you, Coach? <laughs> uh, well, you can. <clears throat> you can, but... Uh, well, you can enhance it, I guess, but if you have it, you have it. Yeah, but most, uh, most guys working in the... Uh, working in police departments or don't have a, a great background with speed development <laughs> um uh, you know from there i went to uh, tmi academy in uh, sweetwater tennessee where i coached the the postgraduate program i coached linebackers there and i was in charge uh, with my uh ex my former wife with the uh, sweetwater fitness center in sweetwater tennessee and then uh <clears throat> uh Unfortunately, that marriage didn't work out. I was very young, and so uh, I returned to Pennsylvania uh, to get finished my teaching certificate and coached at Ringgold High School uh, with my father. <clears throat> and then after a, a year of that, I returned to uh, actually went back to Florida, applied for some jobs there, and I became the offensive coordinator and head wrestling coach at uh, a private school. And also taught five history preps, so it was uh, <laughs> an interesting experience there as well. I <clears throat> uh, brought in Bob Ferraro to do a wrestling clinic for me. Um, he was the head coach at Bucknell, uh, one of the people that I brought in, and uh, you know he was a national runner-up in Division One at Indiana State, and he asked me if I'd be interested in trying to come to Bucknell. Uh, be the strength and conditioning coach and a uh, recruiting coordinator for wrestling, help with the wrestling program. And then I talked with the AD, and basically we agreed that we would start a a strength and conditioning program there for all sports, but uh, primarily football as well. And so during my time at Bucknell, I met Ronnie Jones from the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I just went down and spent some time with him. And uh, basically, we uh, brought in Kevin McNair from uh, out in California to do some speed development work. Uh, Kevin was the pioneer of strength and conditioning in relationship to speed development with uh, at the NFL level and also collegiate level, as far as I was concerned. So uh, that's how I got involved with Ronnie. Ronnie was friends with uh, Steve Logan. Uh, they had coached somewhere together. <clears throat> Sorry, take uh, some water, coach. If you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you we, got we me do, rolling here. We do, we do have. Uh, uh, but some, anyway, uh, some know, beverages Ronnie, for you if you need it. I hear you. Uh, Ronnie was the uh, strength and conditioning coach with the Eagles, and he was going to move the linebacker coach uh, with Buddy Ryan. And so Ronnie had called me and said, "You know, if I if I move to linebacker coach, I want to bring you in as a strength coach." And so I was very excited about that to maybe have an opportunity with the Eagles. But when I called him the next week, I said, hey, Ronnie, how you doing today? He said, pretty good, considering we all got fired today. Mm. Uh, so, so if that hadn't happened, you might have been uh, on an <laughs> NFL track. Uh, well, I had a couple opportunities maybe. To, that, that was one of them. Uh, but it fell through. But, uh, but I had a good relationship with Ronnie. And because of that relationship, uh, he spoke. I guess he came here to Greenville for some celebrity softball tournament and uh, learned through Steve Logan that they were going to make a change in the strength and conditioning coach here. 
I was actually getting my master's degree at Bucknell and also uh and this was when Steve Logan, for, just for folks that, that may not know the timeline, he was an mm-hmm. uh, offensive coordinator then. Right. And Bill Lewis was the head coach. Correct. And so uh, uh, what happened was is – This is probably 1989. Is that about right? Well, this was moving into the 91 season. Okay. Oh, okay. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So you can't – so Bill Lewis was already established here when you – and you started what year at ECU? Well, I came here – was 91 season? I guess, I guess you could season? say the spring, summer before the 91 season because uh, what happened was is uh, I was the only strength coach for that summer with the whole team uh, uh, until I think in the fall I hired Tom Howley. But, uh, but yeah, I came in here and started uh, uh, with – you know, with the program, Steve actually uh, kind of backing up a little bit. You know, I came in and interviewed with Henry Van Sant, and uh, I didn't even I didn't even interview with uh, with Bill at that time. I spent some time with Steve. I uh, I think I had a brief meeting with Bill. Uh, he had a real, I guess, a very busy schedule there, so I did meet with him very briefly. But uh, he kind of took Steve's word for it. Right. Yeah. So Steve brought me in on a recommendation of Ronnie Jones, and uh, they had already interviewed some people. Uh, honestly, I wasn't that familiar with uh, uh, with East Carolina at the time. Um, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and so uh, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time, you know, in North Carolina or in the South. In fact, I hadn't even left Pennsylvania. Yeah, back in '91, um, I was here. Greenville's a lot smaller than it is now. It's yeah, grown up so, a lot, uh, and and you. Um, you came in, and, and much like everything in, in, in business and, and even in coaching, it comes down to relationships, Coach. It, it comes down to a guy knowing you, liking you, giving you a referral, and that's how it happens in the business world a lot, and that's how it happens in the coaching world a lot. It's, a lot of, it's not just who you know, it's who knows you. Right. Well, you know, we had a, a great year the first year, obviously. How old were you when you first came to Greenville? I was 35 years old. All right. Yeah, so I spent uh, – you know, a good it's not a kid, but not a you know. Still had a right. lot of productive years in front of you. I spent a good bit of time at the high school level, you know, coaching and uh, and also with strength and conditioning, you know, in several different scenarios. You know, being the fitness director for the police department and at uh, you know, the Sweetwater Fitness Center in yeah. Tennessee and so forth. A great background. Uh, you know, a and then I got things. involved with uh, with powerlifting also. Um, uh when i got back to well actually when i got back when i got here uh, at ecu i'm trying to remember what year this was uh you know i i was pretty much done with powerlifting but i did get in some kind of meet in uh, curatuck and actually our friend mark washington went with me up there to keep me company <laughs> so uh i ended up winning the open and the uh the masters which was 40 and over so uh, i guess i had been here at least five years um so that was an interesting experience uh, but that was the last powerlifting meet that i entered uh, you know powerlifting was really good because it gave me a lot of practical knowledge in relationship to you know be knowing what to do with regard to to making people strong and i had worked my way up to uh i think third or fourth in the country in the american drug-free powerlifting association uh, that was a drug-free meet also up in curatuck and curatuck and aau uh, meet uh so uh you know that experience 
was helpful to me, but my baby was speed development because ever since I played defensive back in college, I had always had a, a, a very intense and passionate interest in speed development. And uh, so over the years, I got involved with a lot of track people, a lot of sprint coaches. Uh, that was something that I really was very much interested in because football is a movement activity, obviously. Um, lifting weights is great, uh, but you, you want to develop a speed power athlete that has specificity to the game of football, and that's something that uh, I studied relentlessly from the time that I entered the profession. And then just going from there, 10 years here, and then uh, at UNC for 10 years with John Bunning and Butch Davis, and then you know, coming back here for eight years. After that, I spent six years with, uh, or I'm sorry, six months with MARSOC, you know, Special Operations Marines, and then was, uh, you know, I've had a couple opportunities in the private sector. Uh, they're a little more productive for me and gave me more free time. So, uh, uh, but as far as my career was concerned, you know, I was always someone who wanted to stay where I was at. I wasn't someone who was trying to make contacts and look for greener grass. I did interview three times. Uh, during the course of uh, the 10 years I was here initially, I think my second or third year, I interviewed at Penn State with Joe Paterno. Um, you know, they had all machines in their program, and, uh, you know, I couldn't become a chameleon and be a machine guy. Back there, you know, it was kind of a, a controversy or just a battle between the machine coaches and the freeway coaches, and, uh, you know, I was always a freeway guy, so... Uh, um, you know, that was not was not going to be a good move for me. But I, the experience of interviewing with Paterno was interesting. <clears throat> and, of course, I'm glad I didn't end up there because of what, all the stuff that happened there. Yeah. But uh, and then I interviewed twice at Miami. And, uh, you know, with the, the second time I interviewed with Miami was out at the uh, – Butch and Shiano flew me out to the uh, East-West Shrine game for the interview. Butch in Davis? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was offered that job at that time, but uh, I really didn't think the— What uh, year was this? Uh, well, that was toward the, the end of my career here, so that had to be like 97 or 98, somewhere gotcha. in there. Uh, I don't remember when uh, the exact year so that you got, was. So you got an offer— when Chiano was his uh, defensive coordinator. Yeah, Miami Hurricanes, kind of a, a storied football program. Right. So, what, How did you turn that down? Uh. Well, you know, I had uh, – one thing was my loyalty to Steve. I had a very close relationship with Steve, and that was very important to me. Steve Logan. Right. Yeah. My uh, my wife was making good money in real estate. I had to look at our combined income and moving my family to Miami, uh, which I'm not a big city guy. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I knew that Butch was going to be soon moving to the NFL, and he went with the Browns, so mm-hmm. – that was kind of another opportunity that I, I passed up with that decision, probably. But, uh, um, but you know, and then kind of moving ahead, you know, Butch was coming back to uh, uh, to UNC to take that job uh, when John Bunning got fired, and uh, you know, I, I had no idea whether he would retain me, particularly since I had passed up the Miami offer. Uh, but I also think that at that time, you know, Chuck Pagano was his was coming in as a defensive coordinator, and he and I had a you know had a, uh, a relationship. Uh, so you know, it's ma- just making a long story short. Jeff Jagosinski had called and offered me the the BC job, 
in case I wasn't retained there. And uh, he called Butch to have permission, I guess, to talk to me, to offer me the job. And, and Butch called me in and asked me if I was interested in leaving, and I said no. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of like American Idol there at that point. You know, that we were losing a coach every week. He was firing somebody <laughs> new, so he didn't know if you were next. Right. And so uh, and I said, well, I, I intended to keep you. I said, well, it's good for me to know at this point, so I'm going to stay. Yeah. Because so, uh, my son was playing high school football, and I, you know, I want to see him play. Yeah, it can be a crazy business. That's the uh, the Jeff Connors bio. That's a, quite a storied history, Coach. Uh, yeah, I had, bounced around. <laughs> had a lot of uh, unique yeah. experiences, met a lot of interesting people along the way. And once again, this is the Pirate Radio Podcast. I'm Troy Dreyfus talking with Coach Jeff Connors. This is our first conversation with Coach Connors since he has retired from ECU and I believe his first uh, uh, media appearance of any kind. So this is a great honor to have Jeff talk with us today. We're going to get in a a lot of East Carolina uh, discussion coming up in a little bit. But before we do that, Coach, uh, your profession, strength and conditioning profession, man, it has changed a lot over the years i saw the ohio state coach strength and conditioning stre- not head coach strength and mm-hmm. conditioning coach i believe is going to make around a million dollars this year correct as strength and conditioning coach uh i know you've done decent over your career i don't know if you ever made a million dollars as strength and conditioning <laughs> coach uh, what do you attribute uh you know the rise in the uh, i'm sure you would have loved to be able to make that type of money but uh, that's what these big schools are paying now what do you attribute that to you know, where Mickey Marotti's a, a friend of mine, and uh, I actually did a, a speed development clinic for uh, uh, he and his staff over a little Zoom deal that we did this year because we've been friends for a while. Um, Mickey had been at Cincinnati, you know, back in the 90s when, when I was here. Uh, one thing with regard to his situation is, you know, you have to align yourself with a winning head football coach. And if you can do that, you got a chance to make some big money the way because uh, initially, of course, the uh, the head coaches started to get get paid big money and then the, the coordinators. And then uh, over many, many years, that has trickled down to the to the strength and conditioning coach. But, uh, you know, we we all worked on one year contracts. Uh, we were always connected with football. <clears throat> so uh, anytime that you were involved in a, <clears throat> excuse me in a, a, a losing season, uh, you know, you could get fired and and that might be it for you in relationship yeah. to you, to your career in strength and conditioning because I, and I know a lot of my colleagues that went that route, you know, as young men got got fired and couldn't get back in. You know, there's a whole list of those guys, and, you know, we never got paid like the rest of the football staff, and that's one reason that I started Elite Fitness here, you know, back <laughs> way back in the 90s. Uh, you know, when I had that opportunity and was asked to, to start that, and then I was given permission to start, you know, a personal training business on the side. And for folks that don't know, you were really ahead of your time with that. At the time, there, there were some workout gyms in Greenville back mm-hmm. then and places you could go work out, but... Jeff, there was, I can't think of any that were doing personal one-on-one training until you opened up Elite Fitness. You were kind of the the first person in Greenville really to specialize in that. Now there seems to be personal gyms almost on every corner. Um, but am I right that when you opened up Elite Fitness in the 90s, that was kind of new to Greenville at the time, that personal training element one-on-one? Yeah, it was. I mean, Greg Lasseter had a little place. I think one other guy had another place who I think he became like a... Uh, a pro wrestler or something but uh i've known greg for a long time greg is a, a great person uh, who's been here for a while but yeah i did uh 
with Mimi Melvin, who was my partner, I was asking, and another uh, individual who's passed on, who was a good friend of mine, Chuck Black. Um, they got me involved in that, and uh, it was a pretty lucrative business. And you gave Mark Washington kind of his start in that industry, too. Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to ask you about him, because like, yeah. I've had the honor to be able to work out with both of you guys. So yeah. I've, I've had uh, my plenty of opportunities with you back in the elite fitness days i enjoyed right. that and then even uh even more currently and then of course mark doing his thing now but uh yeah mark was a player for you and a, a guy you helped to develop when uh when he needed some assistance too i always try to help the players i mean through my career i hired uh, at least eight or nine times uh former players from east carolina as my assistants both at carolina and at east carolina so uh you know, I sleep well because of that, because I, you know, I, I feel good about trying to help help the guys that played for us. Uh, that was always very important to me. Um, so getting back to what we were talking about, uh, it all comes down to winners stay in the business and losers, you know, basically don't stay in the business. So as a strength and conditioning coach, you want to align yourself with a head coach who is going to be a winner. Uh, because, uh, you know, there were decades there of instability with the profession. The, the CSCCA, uh, uh, Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association, uh, came forth and was uh, created. And uh, even with that board of directors, which is interesting, uh, with that association, every one of them got fired somewhere some of them landed some of them didn't and that's kind of the story of the coaching business isn't it there's rarely a coach that isn't somewhere that hadn't gotten fired somewhere right and uh that was very true of strength coaches as well the thing was is that you know a head coach or an assistant football coach uh, you know had a little more success in finding another job because the head strength coach was just like the head football coach there's only one of them at each each school right so you had, you know, if you're going to try another, find another Division One program, uh, that was pretty tough, right? Uh, because people were trying their best to keep those jobs. But you know, it comes down to now, uh, the head guy has what he calls my guy. So if you're my guy and you've been with a winner, it really doesn't matter what your strength and conditioning program has been. Uh, you could not have a very good strength and conditioning program, but if you're winning football games and you're that guy. That that head coach considers you to be his guy. That's you're going to go yeah. with him, and well, so it has nothing to do with the athletic director. Yeah, it comes down to uh, relationships and, and right. who, who you're connected with. I want to ask you one more big picture question about the industry, coach, and then I want to funnel it down more to East Carolina and some mm -hmm. of your experiences here. But uh, you know, I've talked to guys that you worked with in the '90s specifically, and. and Listen, I, I think in your industry, and you've always been a big person about safety and making sure mm -hmm. pushing. There's a fine line of pushing someone to their limits, right. but not taking it overboard. There have been some deaths in your industry and some players, whether it's uh, strength and conditioning, not under your direction, but whether it's a mm -hmm. another strength and conditioning coach's fault or not. You know, those things have been documented. So I know safety concerns have become more and more prevalent during your career, right? And the stuff that and the players I talked to in the 90s that were here, and you got the most out of them. There's no question about it. They're like, yeah, you know, the stuff we used to do, they won't even let them do nowadays, you know? Right. And they talk about how hard the workouts were and the things that they had to accomplish and the drills mm -hmm. that they had to do that nowadays they'd never let, you know, you might get fined for or reprimanded for. 
Let's discuss that, how things have changed over the years from the 90s to today as far as the safety concerns and, and how different it is, especially trying to run a strength and conditioning program. <laughs> yeah. And I got a lot uh, of other well, questions, so don't spend too much time on that one. Yeah, there was <laughs> a uh, there was an article in the Daily Reflector, you know, that I, I may have sent you that copy at some point. It was kind of... Uh, I guess you could say entertaining when Jerry Dillon called me a criminal when I first came here. So uh, Steve Logan wanted, and same thing with Bill Lewis. He Their priority was they wanted the team to be highly conditioned. You know, we won a lot of games in 91 in the fourth quarter. We, we won a lot of games through that 10-year period in the fourth quarter. And I think that's something that we were somewhat known for. Uh, uh, so in relationship to the running, uh, there was no other coach that I ever worked for that allowed me to run the team the way that I ran them uh, under Bill Lewis, under Steve Logan, and particularly Steve. But uh, So back then they basically said, Jeff, this you, you do what you need to do. Yeah, they kind of gave me carte blanche. Really no limits at that point. Uh, we, well, you, you, you know, I, you no limits have, from the head coach. I yeah, I mean, say. you want to be smart in right. what you do. You know, in the summertime, particularly one day, the Tuesday is when we ran our three hundreds, and that was uh, uh, that was kind of a special day. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, I could give you a, a thirty minute explanation of that alone, but at the same time, uh, I'll just say that this was something that the players ended up hanging their hat on. And when new people came into the program, you had to prove yourself to the upperclassmen through that time. So by the end of the summer, you had to make that 300 test. And, you know, it was very tough. And it was a, a team activity, which really the players, when they made the test, we'd start about three weeks three, you know, before a reporting uh, date. I'd give them a, a, a different color shirt. So I gave them a gold shirt when they made it, and they became coaches. And so when the guys that had not made the test, when it came up the next Tuesday or whatever, they would run around the field with them and coach them. And it was kind of like a crossing over into a special fraternity, foot five ball. You know, and I, you may have heard that we yep. had the foot five ball fraternity. But the leadership made it special. Uh, you know, we started running 300s on Tuesday. The, the, the players kept adding to it. Um, when Kevin Monroe came in as a freshman and made eight 300s the first day he was here, they said, you know, the, the seniors came to me and said, hey, we can't have that. Uh, these guys got to pay the price to get in the program. We got to raise the standard. He was that good, though, conditioning-wise, that he just nailed it his first day? Well, Kevin was pretty tough, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, he had prepared. Yeah. And I'm sure being a local, you know, he probably had some idea of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did they change it you to? You know, wh- whatever you want to hang your hat on. What, the, what did they change it to after that? You know what I mean? When I went to. No, under- after Monroe made this time like that and they said, oh, we got to change well, it. What they do? Yeah, they added two reps. They went to 10. Oh, okay. And the rest of the guys were like, damn, Kevin, why do you have to? Well, you know. <laughs> I, I, I was getting to the point where, you know, I, I didn't want it to be a safety issue. But, you know, this isn't something that we did at the beginning of the summer. This is something that we did after many, many weeks of, of 
training of preparation yeah. and training you know and we ran hard every pretty much ran hard every day we yeah. did some type of running every day and we always ran first before we lifted that's something i've always believed in and um you know so i guess making a long story short uh, that was something that uh that became very special and, and we also gave the the players awards t-shirts or plaques or whatever for for specific uh things that occurred in the fourth quarter here where we saw guys going down on a knee or going off the field or bending over uh it was kind of a secret then you know we we didn't have the no quarter and the the video and all the stuff you know hey i think that's great at the same time you know we didn't want to let the other team know you know like our secret weapon so when we saw those guys bend over or start going off the field it was kind of like we were talking among ourselves on the sideline there it is you know we see it uh, we're, we're going to taste blood now we're going in for a kill and uh and, and that was the mentality and uh, you know i think that really took us a long way back then so uh that was a very special time and it's something that came from me to some extent but it really was something that came from the players once again coach jeff connor's talking with us on the pirate radio podcast troy dreyfus here as we are talking about his career the industry and uh, now east carolina jeff when you look back at the 10 your first 10 years here it was a magical time in the 90s though and came under bill lewis boy what a first year to have uh, that 91 season uh, if there's any new listeners out there, uh, I, I can't imagine a Pirate fan that isn't familiar with the 91 season, even if they weren't alive, making me fall old. But right. a lot of Pirates now weren't even born in 91. Right. But uh, still the greatest season in ECU football history, finished with a 11-1 record. The equivalent of a, a New Year's – it was a New Year's Day bowl game, but what a mm-hmm. New Year's Day 6, those – whatever they call it nowadays, you know, and uh, right. a, a top 10 national ranking. Uh, what was the the culture uh, back then when you when you under Bill Lewis under Steve Logan? What, what were your most treasured memories? Well, the one thing I would say is you know God blessed me with the opportunity for whatever reason you know to end up at East Carolina uh, in 1991 uh, that season. Uh, I'm always thankful that I got to be part of that, and I'm very thankful that I got to be part of that ten years. Uh, but when you talk about the culture, you know, when when coaches come into a program, you always hear this. Well, we got to change the culture. As far as I'm concerned in relationship to what I had known about the history of East Carolina in my many discussions with Henry Van Sant, uh, who I I love that guy, you know, and uh, I think he's missed. <laughs> you know, he's he passed since ever since that. But uh I think what we needed to do was recapture the culture. <clears throat> so if you want to say now, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike Houston uh, recaptured the culture, I- I'm not sure it's about a new culture. <clears throat> um, but when you look at Clarence Stasevich and you look at uh, Pat Dye, and and I actually brought Pat Dye in to speak to the team one Friday night, um, there's some of the other names. I mean, Sonny Randall, you know, his name gets mentioned, of course. Yeah, I don't have all that in front of me as far as what those coaches uh, accomplished, but I think they developed the culture. And uh, so I think during that 10-year period, we recaptured that culture. <clears throat> and I look That's at it as it. a decade of distinction. Yeah. So 
statistically, uh, we were 70 and 45 that uh, those 10 years. Uh, very interestingly, we played 41 teams out of 115 teams that are now Power 5 teams. So we averaged four Power 5 games a year. Uh, the record against those teams was 26 and 15. Uh, so we had a very favorable record against those teams. In 1991 and 1999, we defeated five of those teams in one season. Uh, during that 10-year period, we qualified for, for seven bowls. We played in five bowls. We were eight and three and six and five and didn't get chosen to go to a bowl. And so that was something tough that our players had to deal with. <clears throat> I remember that eight and three. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was sitting home. That was tough. And, and for folks that don't know that are younger, there weren't as many bowl games back then. Right. It was a lot harder to get in a bowl game. Now they give them away like Tic Tacs. We had uh, uh, five wins over South Carolina. Uh, we had we were awarded the ESPN Spirit Award the year that we defeated Miami at, at NC State. <clears throat> and, of course, I wrote about that in my book um, in, in a lot of detail. Uh, what I remember more than anything else with the fans were how they met us at the airport you know, after these victories on the road. You couldn't even get through the airport. Yeah, I remember. I was there. <clears throat> and uh, so It was in was, Kinston back then. <clears throat> that was very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, after we defeated NC State in the Peach Bowl, some of the coaches didn't come back uh, on the bus, on the plane, whatever. Uh, Bill Lewis, of course, you know, I didn't know that he was taking the Georgia Tech job. Uh, but uh, when you rode that bus from Kinston to, to Greenville and the roads were lined with people the entire distance, I mean, I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. Uh, um, it was amazing. Uh, and I think the, the caravan stretched from Kinston to Greenville all the way back with the flashing lights and behind the buses. It was, it was a magical time, no doubt right. about it. And so uh, a few other things that I would mention uh, – you know, it was all about the players, uh, those 10 years. I mean, the leadership, the commitment. And when you look at East Carolina as far as being a, a program, okay, we have a chip on our shoulder. It was about the toughness. It was about the overachievement. It was about a fierce work ethic. And it was about the relationship with the community. Those are the very special things that I saw with our players and, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I love those guys <laughs> because they had such a commitment. And uh, Steve gave me an odd responsibility. Steve was, of course, more of an intellect. And uh, I believe very strongly in emotion, and I'm a highly emotional individual, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, sometimes. But uh, so somehow I got the Friday night emotional uh, presentation assignment. For folks that don't know, you kind of gave the pregame speech, so to speak. <laughs> well, the, rally the troops. I, I gave the yeah, I gave the rally. But, and it the, wasn't always a speech. Sometimes it was uh, you involved props. Well, after a, a period of time, you know, I ran out of things. I, yeah. mean, I, I, I did like seventy-five of them. So, yeah, you got pretty creative. At you times. Know, like I say, I brought in Pat Dye. I brought in yeah. uh, all kinds of military people. I brought in. Uh, I had two guys fighting the locker room before the Cincinnati game. You know, Steve. Not players. Know. They were op- They were outside of the program. Yeah, they were outside the program. They were. 
you ever they kill a chicken? Professional fighters. <laughs> did, you kill, did you ever kill a chicken before the South Carolina game? Nah, I wasn't into that oh, type okay. of stuff, I didn't know man. But but you know, we had three rounds in the locker room. Steve didn't know it was going to happen, so he was pretty much in a state of shock when he came to the locker room. Saw two guys fighting. Um, but again, you know, he just kind of gave me <laughs> the freedom to be creative, to prepare something, yeah, and get guys fired up. I brought in Master Lee from uh, you know Taekwondo here in town. The first thing he did when he came in the door was uh, kick the ceiling. I think he's about five foot five, so that was pretty <laughs> impressive. Uh, you know, so I could tell you a lot of stories about those presentations, but uh, that might have to be a separate podcast. Yeah, that was yeah. that was special. That could be a good one. And, uh, and uh, you know, I I don't know if any other strength coaches did anything that had those type of responsibilities, but uh, but that was Steve giving that to you. It wasn't you saying, "Hey, let me do this." It was like he kind of asked you to do it. I no, guess. I mean, after a period of time, it was extremely challenging for me to come up with something. But what we had was we had a theme of the week, which Doug Martin did the uh, upper room <clears throat> uh, message, and I tried to uh, we tried to have a a theme each week which was the message that uh that i kind of connected with what he was doing all right uh once again jeff <clears throat> connor's join us for first conversation since retiring from ecu take some water coach if you need it so we, <laughs> we do, do have it provided for you yeah, i don't think i spoke <laughs> this much this is talked to anybody this long for say, quite a while this is the most you've talked uh since since retiring yeah, that i used to quiet. all right uh so you had a great 10 years at ecu and, and you had a great run and then what was it I don't know, in early 2000s, you got an opportunity to go to be strength conditioning coach at UNC. Mm-hmm. You spend a decade there, a Power 5 program. Obviously, they have tons of money and resources uh, up in Chapel Hill. What? How did you decide to, to leave and come back to ECU? Why did you leave a Power 5 program to come back to ECU? How did that go down? Because that was your – I remember talking to you that day when you got hired. It was your choice. It wasn't like yeah. you were unemployed and didn't have a job and they let you go. Like, they didn't want to let you go at UNC. Uh, they wanted you to stay there, from what I remember, and it was your decision. But how, how did you decide to leave that program to come back to ECU after 10 years? Well, you know, any any kind of uh, – <clears throat> excuse me, any kind of uh, issue with discipline has always really bothered me. Um I'm very adamant about accountability, work ethic, discipline, and spirit. I've always been that way. I never wanted to compromise. I always wanted to treat everybody exactly the same. If I thought a head coach was uh, treating someone differently somehow, um, you know, it wasn't long before I had to speak to the coach about it because this is something that I didn't want to have to deal with. Um, There were some things that happened, uh, you know, when Butch was there that uh, where I think he convinced some of the upperclassmen to stay. I think really we had a ton of really great rec- recruits, some of which John Bunning had had brought in, you know, his last year or two where, you know, he really caught on to the recruiting part of it, you know, because Coach Bunning came in from the NFL. Um and so I think Butch benefited from a lot of the people that that uh, John Bunning brought in uh, toward the end of his career. <clears throat> but uh, those individuals who stayed, some of which uh, got into some issues, uh, NCA issues, uh, 
of course john blake was let go um you know i don't really even know any of the facts of that but uh i got called in by the ncaa and was interviewed for like a three-hour deal which was crazy because i didn't know anything i was in the weight room so right. i don't know what was going on but uh evidently there were some things going on with agents and uh other things with regard to NCA violations. Uh, so there was talk, you know, scuttlebutt that uh, Butch was in jeopardy. Uh, I went and took a job with the Marines, and uh, I was leaving. And so when I told Butch, he was kind of upset about it. And so the next morning, I got a call to meet with Dick Bedore, and uh, Dick Bedore guaranteed me a two-year deal. Who was the AD at UNC mm-hmm. at the time? And actually, I got about a $40,000 raise, uh, which was significant. So um, I decided to stay and not take the job with the Marines. Um, And then about, uh, I don't know, maybe six weeks later, the the opportunity at East Carolina opened up, and I was contacted by a couple people there. Obviously, it was not an, an easy decision because I had to take a pay cut. And, uh, and leave a Power 5 program, which, you know, even if Butch was leaving, uh, there was you know, there was not that chance that I would be retained by the next guy. And I also had an additional year on my contract, but I didn't know that. And I didn't know if Butch was going to be let go either. Um, that wasn't definitive. Uh, but I had made some good decisions in my career, you know, in making the move to Carolina uh, and leaving East Carolina when I did before Steve got fired, obviously, was a a good decision for my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I looked at this as another time when I had to make a decision and put my family first and put the longevity um, of the profession a little, you know, first as well so mike i wanted to have a contract with terry holland i was uh i met with ruff of course and uh, ruff mcneil was the head coach back then terry mm-hmm. holland was the ad yeah and they were trying to hire some other guy who i'm familiar with and i guess the guy turned down the job and so that left an opportunity for me to come back um and so uh and your deal was actually with the university uh, athletic department as the strength and yeah it was with the athletic department you know uh, nothing against the football coach or any football coach but through my whole career i had been connected to the football coach and uh in thinking that okay as strength and conditioning coaches we now have these titles as assistant athletic director does that mean anything with regard to longevity well, it probably didn't mean much and doesn't mean much. I don't think it means much now. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I spoke with Coach Holland, and he basically told me that my contract was with him. Uh, I talked with Ruff about it, and I, you know, basically I just wanted to be evaluated on how I ran my department, not solely on wins and losses with the football program. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was fair to me, you know, in my profession, because I had spent so much time in jeopardy every year, <laughs> you know, because you never know if, if you have if, the, if it's a bad year, you could get fired any year. So right. uh, I wanted to have a little bit of longevity and a little bit of stability with my with my situation. Yeah. Well, smart, smart planning. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about when you 
I remember, and, and full disclosure, we've been friends for a long time mm-hmm. uh, for folks that are listening that don't know. So I've, I've known you off the field for a long time too. I remember when you left ECU, I, me and a lot of other Pirate fans were kind of sad to see you go. I understood the situation, but, uh, and then obviously going to a rival like UNC, but I'm still friends with you, you know, and I, I, yeah. I had lost, we weren't communicating on a daily basis, but we were still friends. And I remember seeing you back in Greenville for the first time when UNC came to Greenville to play mm-hmm. uh, East Carolina. And I remember actually after the game, I went and, and purposely stayed late to, to talk to you and say hello. Um, and I just remember how weird it was seeing you in UNC gear because for all those years so you yeah. you know Jeff Connors is the ultimate pirate I mean you just kind of embody what being a pirate's all about to me just so to see him baby blue just didn't it just never sat right with me like and I knew it was the right move for you and we were still friends but I just never could wrap my head around that just doesn't feel right so it was great to have you come back to to ECU to finish out your collegiate career here because I just felt like it was a homecoming in many ways. But what was it like being on the other sideline? It you, know, you spend all those years on the ECU right. side, then you come in as like the enemy in many ways. What what is that experience <laughs> like, Coach? The only way I could describe that is you know I'm a person that just I can't even express how much I despise losing. Uh, it, it would take me till you know from Saturday until Tuesday until I was uh, you know normal again. And I was the same way when I played in college. I just hated losing a football game because you put so much time and effort into the preparation and so much uh, emotion and passion toward it. And uh, uh, it was very hard for me to always bounce back from that. And in my family, it was hard for me, <laughs> for them to live with me. Uh, you know the whole nine yards. Uh, so when you're on the opposite sideline and you get really confused because, you know, I spent 10 years of hard work at East Carolina and then I spent 10 years of hard work at Carolina. And so, you know, I switched sidelines a couple times. And, uh, you, you know, when you win the game, and I think when I was at uh, Carolina, we were 4-1 and one against East Carolina. When, when I came to East Carolina, we were 3-2 and two against Carolina. So it was good to have a winning record, I guess you could say. Right. But every time we won, you know, particularly, <laughs> um, you know, because you you put so much effort into to a program, uh, I felt the same way as if I lost. I mean, I was sick to my stomach, I, you know, and I should have been celebrating, and I was celebrating uh, outwardly. But at the same time, you know, you just get a sick feeling. And the, the sick feeling you get is because of the time that you put into those those young athletes on, on you know, in, in each program. And so, you know, that, that was the main thing for me always anyway was my relationship with the players. Uh, I learned very early that this was a brutal uh, profession and you know you can have a relationship with a head coach but that may not last your relationship with the assistant coaches never lasts very long because they're always looking to go somewhere else and so my friends ended up being the players that i coach for the most part yeah well uh, and, and i will say this and i know a lot of these players and every time i bring up your name i was talking to a big ed Watkins yesterday mm-hmm. and, I, and i told him 
I said, you're going to have to tune in. Uh, your buddy Jeff Connors, your former coach, is going to be on our podcast. He's like, oh, I mean, he wouldn't, he couldn't stop raving about <laughs> Jeff Connors. And uh, he wanted me to tell you hello, so yeah. I did. Uh, but, you know, I appreciate the, the, the former players that, uh, that at the time might have hated you when they were in the midst of summer workouts, I think all now as adults look back and say, man, this guy was a big part of my life. Well, you know, I was never in it for popularity, and I was never in it for popularity with relationship with coaches either. I mean, uh, yeah, I became friends with with some football coaches, of course, over the years, but uh, I just really just wanted to focus on my department, and I was <clears throat> adamant about <clears throat> what I thought we needed to do, not what some football coach did at some other place. And Steve always was uh, supportive. And uh, the other coaches I worked for were supportive uh, for the most part. Um, I did have some issues with a coach or two from time to time. Well, uh, and, and Coach, you, you in your 32-year run, you survived or worked with seven coaches throughout mm-hmm. that career. That's uh, it, It's pretty remarkable, I think. Is that common in the business? <laughs> No, I don't think it's common, and I felt very fortunate to maintain a, keep a paycheck for uh, you know, thirty-two years and going through seven seven different head coaches uh, who could have very easily gone with somebody else, and so you know I'm proud of that fact. Um, but again, I, I attribute it to the fact that I just wanted to focus on where I was, not where the grass would be greener. And, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into, you know, where I was. Speaking of, hey, coaches, and this is a great retrospective look at your career and your time, especially here at East Carolina. I want you to be able to clear the air on something because I've I've had people ask me about this and I want you to be able to address it. You know, you're. When Ruff was Ruff and McNeil was let go, uh, I don't want to relive, you know, how it all went down and uh, people's opinions of it. But uh, the fact that was he was fired uh, and you were able to stay. You retained your job. I think there were some folks that felt, well, was Jeff Connors involved mm-hmm. in that decision? Uh, did he play a role <laughs> in, in Ruff McNeil leaving? I've had people talk to me, about, ask right. me about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't I can't answer that. Let me ask you that was. In the final days of, of Ruff and McNeil, what was your relationship like, and was there any role that Jeff Connors had in, in, in that downfall of, of his head coaching career? Well, the only thing that I could say there, you know, if Ruff and McNeil was going to get fired, there was no stability guaranteed for my job. So, you know, uh, I did not want to be in an unstable situation either because I had no idea if Jeff Confer would retain me. Um, I thought that he might um, carry forth the the agreement that I had with uh, with Coach Holland, and uh, I felt you know fairly confident there. Uh, I thought that uh, Ruff would probably be retained one more year. Um, I hated to lose, just like I'm telling you. So uh, you know we're five and seven that year and some of the scouts were asking me about the effort of some of the rising seniors during the games and i was getting that same type of effort and non-disciplined behavior in the weight room from some of those players as well uh, which did not make me happy Uh, i was very open with coach mcneil in relationship to how i felt about that 
and we spoke about that a couple times and uh and basically you know coach mcneil was always supportive of me he said jc we'll get that fixed in the off season uh, okay and so that was uh i guess that was the plan you know at the same time when i have any kind I guess of this, the problem is uh, the off season never came for him so it was well, too late i yeah, guess to unfortunately fix it. it didn't um at the same time you know i, I think some people also forget to <laughs> you know coach ruff was getting a lot of criticism at that point too throughout that year from yeah. from the community and maybe through some of the uh you know the people who are influential in the program and so forth and uh <clears throat> did i ever have a discussion about being unhappy with the discipline yes i did but my discussions were with with coach mcneil he was well aware of the fact that i you know i wasn't unhappy with with something that he did or he did to me i was unhappy with some of the performance of the players and effort and discipline of the players and that's something that <clears throat> I went head-to-head with with Butch. Uh, there were probably a couple times I went head-to-head with with, with Steve. Um, <clears throat> because if you were going to come into my weight room late, you were going to be confronted. If you were giving me less than 100% effort, you were going to be confronted. I didn't care who you were. I wanted to treat everybody the same. And if I was ever in a situation where I felt like I couldn't treat everybody the same, I became very uncomfortable with that. And I'll be honest with you, I was very uncomfortable with that the last year, year and a half with Coach Montgomery. Uh, and so, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's that's pretty much what I could say about that. When Ruffin would let, was let go, I was with one of my former assistants down in Tampa, Florida at, at a party at, at a restaurant. You know, and I was called and somebody i don't even remember who it was i think it was somebody on the you know the board called me and said uh oh, you know ruffin mcneil was let go and uh, you know we're letting you know that you're going to be retained before you start going out there looking for a job i guess so uh of course i was happy with that so but i was not uh comfortable with the situation now you know we got to restart again i didn't know uh uh, basically what the situation was going to be with Jeff Confer because you, normally you're always worried about when a new AD comes in, well, he's got a guy waiting. And the thing was, it didn't look like Jeff had a guy. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the way that it panned out, uh, the guy didn't get the job done. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, of course, I was going to be loyal. I, I, aligned, I aligned myself with the ne- next head coach, and I was uh, 100% loyal to that coach, uh, even though at times I was a little uncomfortable with what was going on with, with a couple of the players. Um, you know, but at the same time, you're loyal to that coach. You're that coach's uh, strength coach. And so when the new regime comes in, you take the hit if you, if you got to take the hit. And, and you've been a part of some the greatest moments at ECU history mm-hmm. for football, and unfortunately, I think you've been a part of some of the toughest moments with with yeah. ECU history. And you know, your uh, career basically ended, you know, with, with Scotty Montgomery, where he right. was brought in, and and you were you were actually here and, and stayed on. 
Uh, and we've had Rick Smith on this program many times, mm-hmm. Coach Smith, and he's been very critical. And, and, and I, I say critical, I think almost maybe open and honest about what happened right. and some of the things that I'm sure you had a front row seat. But as yeah. as a strength and conditioning coach, you can only do so much, I guess, to try and right the ship. Uh, ultimately, it, it's still on the head coach to guide the direction. And I, and I imagine you could probably do a whole nother chapter on, on what went <laughs> wrong with Scotty Montgomery. But I just wanted you to be able to address that, too. <laughs> I'm not here to say what went wrong. I'm just here to say from my perspective what my expectation was in what I do and what I think is necessary to be successful as a strength and conditioning coach. And that's really the only thing that I can speak to. Um, It it was an ironic, of course, because when I went to, uh, to Carolina, John Williams asked me to retain him. And I retained him at Carolina and helped him through his career. And then, uh, oddly enough, you know, he's the guy that ends up replacing me here. So yeah. <laughs> you know, you can only laugh and be entertained about it. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's an interesting profession for that's, sure. That's, that's the way it goes. But uh, I still have a relationship with John or anybody else that worked under me. Um, I try to help a lot of guys. I think uh, I think people that worked under me were named head coaches somewhere around 18 times. That's incredible. Uh, talk about the coaching trees. You've got a great coaching tree yourself with your former players that have be- become um, influential in either strength and conditioning or the coaching business. Coach, I want to. Uh, a lot of people have asked me, "Hey, what is Coach Connors doing now?" A lot of folks are hearing you for the first time uh, in a, in a couple years here. They haven't heard from you. I, I know when you retired from ECU, you had an opportunity with the military to train special forces, but then you ended up uh, changing, switching gears there. Let's get folks caught up to date as far as what are you doing currently? Well, currently, the first thing I do every day is make coffee for my wife. (laughs) And Um, you've managed not to screw that up so far, so good job. Well, because, you know, (laughs) she was such a trooper over the years, hanging in there and, and putting up with me and putting up with my career and putting up with the... We didn't move very often, but we did make some moves, and uh, and uh, you know she is such a great realtor. I mean, uh, she has done extremely well in her profession. I have a lot of admiration for what she's done and what she's accomplished in her profession and of course uh, what she's done as a mother to my children and so that's that's my first thing is to make sure that i take care of my wife and uh, maybe you know help her now um, any way that i can so she gets annoyed with me being at, at home a lot so i try to get out of there <laughs> she's uh, used to you being gone yeah. So, <laughs> hey, Jeff, uh, go get another job. <laughs> yeah. So Ironwood has been great for me. I, lo- I do love to golf. I'm not very good. Of course, I was never a golfer, so I started late in my career trying to swing a golf club. But uh, I do – I'm under 90 uh, most of the time, and uh, so that's good for me. And if I can do that, I'm very happy, and I enjoy the game, and I I got myself a golf cart, so I can go out there anytime, and uh, I really enjoy that, or I can go hit balls or whatever. Uh, so that's something that's enjoyable to me. I enjoyed my time with the Special Operations Marines for six months, but then I had a little uh, offer in the, the private sector, and so uh, I actually go to Raleigh a couple of days a week and do some private training. And that's been a very good situation for me, and it keeps me busy. And I also, you know, a few people train in my garage. Uh, I've got a gym in my garage uh, that's pretty good. 
your friend, our friend, uh, I guess I can mention Billy, you know, Billy Parker and his preacher, uh, Gene Williams. Um, you know, we in there, we, after we train, uh, you know, we, we pray. And so, uh, that's been really good for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've I've had a chance to hey, look. Your uh, your garage gym is as nice as any other <laughs> gyms around. I've had a chance to go over there a couple of times, and uh, you got a nice setup there. So, uh, staying busy, I guess, is the main thing. You're not yeah. sitting uh, just in a rocking chair. You're still well, working. You know, I'm. Uh, I know we're not talking. We're not trying to make this as some type of spiritual presentation but i you know i'm trying to lose myself to gain the kingdom that's what i'm in the process of doing because you know when you work at the collegiate level you uh, it's so much about you and trying to develop a relationship with other people and develop a reputation and develop a name and uh develop things professionally that are all about you and now it's time that uh i lose myself and and you know and try to get closer to god and, and make it to heaven someday that's that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, the, 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 the ultimate big picture, no doubt about it. Yeah. Coach, we're running out of time, but before we get out of here, uh, I got a. I got my, some things that I, I, I want to mention before we leave. All right, um, go go ahead, go ahead and mention what you want to. Anything you that I haven't asked you that you want to get, but I am running short on time. But so go yeah. ahead and what, what would you like to discuss before we? we I, I want to give you some Paganoisms. Okay. And, uh, to, to to finish up and uh, live your vision, be number one. Have a presence, stick to the process, keep chopping wood. Uh, have that presence, be present to each moment of your life, specifically what's in front of you now. Uh, in my life, you know, I never missed a practice and I never missed a day of work, and I'm, pr- I'm proud of that. And so I think having that presence is extremely important. You know, to let go of self-judgment and the criticisms, you know, and whatever happened in the previous on the previous down day or year. This is something that Chuck shared with me. Uh, never allow those things we judge ourselves most critically for to keep us small or hold us back from living our life in joy. And so, you know, sometimes people want to keep you small when you accomplish a lot. Sometimes there's, you know, there are people out there that want to celebrate your failure. And, uh, you know, I could get into that in a lot of detail, but uh, I think it's important to avoid those types of, of criticisms in relationship to uh, giving them any, any credence. Uh, your circumstances don't make you, they reveal you. You know, you got to take the pain, the obstacles, and transform them from time to time. You know, Chuck overcame uh, heart surgery and uh, cancer. You know, I overcame a melanoma that I had. So, you know, demonstrate your strengths under duress. So living in vision, not not circumstances, uh, understanding that change is constant. And, uh, you know, you hope to leave something, uh, but make it something meaningful in the world and in service to something much bigger than yourself. And, you know, these are things that... that uh, you know, of course, we all know Chuck Pagano, and uh, formerly with the Bears, and he recently player. retired. And you know, these are things that his daughter reiterated that she learned from Chuck, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was incredible. And of course, I've heard a lot of these things from Chuck and working with him a couple places, but uh, I think it applies to coaching and applies to uh, you know the general population. Absolutely, uh, Coach Jeff Connors here with us on the Pirate Radio Podcast. Coach, I've got a birthday coming up in may it's going to make me feel kind of old but uh, as, a, as a 
look over at you. You've got one. I think you're looking at 65 coming up next. Yeah, uh, that's right. How about what, that? What are your thoughts? Although, I will say uh, for folks that can't see right now because they can only hear this, uh, you look like you're in tremendous shape. You still look like you could uh, get out there and train or, or, or compete on the field. Uh, so, for a guy that's 65, you don't look, act, or sound 65. What are your thoughts as you uh, head into the next year? Well, I think it's important for you if you're starting to, you know, I mean, it's important that uh, you determine what your kids can learn from you um, and make sure you spend time with them every day. I think that's extremely important. It's something I didn't do enough of. Um, you know, if I had it to do over it again, I, I, you know, I'd spend more time with my kids somehow. Uh, you know, take care of all the people you love. You know that in town here, I brought my parents here, and it's important for me to take care of my parents because they took care of me. And so, that's one of the things that I do now is take care of my parents as well. I think it's important to, to uh, prioritize your spiritual life. Uh, stay away from anything or anyone who steals your joy. Uh, of course, learning to pray. You know, I'm I'm a guy that's really just learning to pray on another level. Uh, um. You know, there's a song Casting Crowns has, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't need a legacy, uh, don't need you to remember me, only Jesus. So, uh, you know, that's something that's that's very powerful um, uh, that kind of uh, woke me up. So uh, I think those are the things that I would emphasize the most in relationship to giving you some advice moving into your Let's see, how old are you now? About 55? Or? Not that quite old, okay. Coach, I, yeah, Maybe not quite there. Let's not advance it that far. <laughs> but I'm catching up to you. That's what scares me. <laughs> I got you. Uh, does the coaching bug ever hit you during uh, the season? Do you ever want to get back out there on the sideline again? Well, strangely enough, I had uh, kind of an offer. In, well, I was asked last, asked last night if I was interested in a, a program, but it's out west somewhere so uh, i am not interested um but yeah i do have the bug from time to time because you know i think i've got a lot left in me if i wanted to coach um uh, the only thing that i have is uh, i got some joint pain now over the years you know doing heavy squats for 50 years and things like that <laughs> sometimes are not advisable but uh um I'm also very happy with the time that I have available to do the things that I'm doing right now. And uh, the main thing with me is, you know, take care of my wife, take care of my kids, take care of my parents, and, uh, you know, make sure uh, that I'm doing everything I can to uh, make up for 32 years of not being there. Um, so that that's kind of my main priority right now. So, I, you know, I really want to, wouldn't want to move to any other location while my wife is doing well and try to uproot her or you know you know again my, i moved my parents here so i'd have right. to uproot them as well so yeah. uh, and you know my kids grew up in greenville you know we came here when they were uh, two years old and i just had my daughter and uh they spent the first 10 years of their life in in greenville and so this is home to them and that's another reason you know that we wanted to come back um so uh you know that's i want them you know my son just got his paramedic uh I think he's got one or two more tests to take, but he's a, a fireman. He's a combat medic for the Air Force still, but he's a fireman uh, here in town and, uh, you know, EMT and getting ready to get his paramedic. And he's he's doing good things in Greenville uh, for the town of Greenville. So I'm, I'm very proud of him. Uh, 
and you know my, my daughter here is uh you know has uh, uh you know some issues uh so you know i've got to continue to help her mm-hmm. um, um so uh um that's kind of my focus jeff uh great having you in studio with us today thank you for agreeing to do this podcast with us uh i know i've been asking you for i think a couple years <laughs> since you retired <laughs> to do it so i'm glad we were finally able to do it here we, we really kind of skimmed the surface we could probably go for hours and hours on on different things and different aspects and different uh rabbit holes uh, on each of these topics but yeah uh, i i appreciate your honesty and most importantly i appreciate your uh, dedication to east carolina university what you've done for this place over the uh, over your 20 years of tenure uh, as strength and conditioning coach and um more importantly i appreciate your friendship on a personal level it's been great to be able to associate and, and get to know a person like you off the field and out of the gym and as a person and i've enjoyed our lunches and times together and uh the times we get to share so on a personal note, let me just say publicly thank you for uh, for your friendship and uh, wish you continued success. And Jeff, glad to have you still in Greenville and um, much, uh, much more happy and healthy days for you ahead. Well, I really appreciate that. And, you know, again, one of the reasons that I wanted to come back were, was uh, the relationships that I had established with some incredible human beings here and you know i come from a place in the country that's you know my grandparents my my two grandfathers spent 100 years total in the coal mine and so you know i come from a blue collar uh, background you know i when i was in tennessee i raised three acres of tobacco to try and <laughs> supplement my income so i've got some connections there and an understanding of how to raise barley tobacco and what that means but uh just the, the some of the folks that I met here um, and developed relationships with, uh, the down-to-earth type of individuals uh, that I grew up around. You know, I really related to a lot of people here in relationship to uh, where I grew up, and so that's another reason I wanted to, to get back here. And we're going to end it on that. That is uh, former strength and conditioning coach Jeff Connors with us today on the uh, Pirate Radio podcast. Thanks again, Jeff, for your time and uh, appreciate you joining us here in studio. That'll wrap it up for this edition of the Pirate Radio podcast. I'm Troy Dreyfus. Thank you for joining today's podcast with Troy Dreyfus and Coach Jeff Connors. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in the Apple Store. Visit our website at pr927fm.com and you can follow us on social media at pr927fm. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to the Pirate Radio podcast, an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. 